oneness. You know, as we uh, went a little break for that, we had started a little three-part series called Dwell, and, and that was kind of on purpose because we kind of want to catch you a little bit by surprise with that pulpit swap thing. And so, but today I want to finish this series. If, we, if you remember the first week, we talked about dwelling on the past. I mean, you know that so many times our progress in what God wants to do in our lives can be held up by us dwelling on the past. So many times we can carry junk in our lives and hurts and circumstances and things and we're, and we're trying to move forward in life and we're dragging this baggage with us and our, our God has something better he wants for us to do in the, in the future, but we're constantly looking over our shoulder. And it doesn't always have to be bad things that happen to us. Sometimes our past successes in him can get in the way of what he wants to do in us in the future because we think he's got to do it just like he did it before. And then we talked the week after that about dwelling in his presence and how that we're made to dwell in his presence. And so many times we make the mistake of that the idea that somehow hearing God's voice or somehow spending time in his presence is this difficult thing. So many times I'm asked by so many people, how do I hear God's voice? And usually my response to them is it isn't so hard. We make it this hard thing, but God does not make something difficult for us that we were created to do and to be. He desires for us to hear his voice and to dwell in his presence more than we desire to do it. And so it's not like he's laid out something. It's not like you're trying to hear from him like you're going through some escape room where you have to figure out the code to get out or to get in in this case. But he makes himself available and all we have to do is put ourselves in position to hear what he's saying. But today we're going to talk about dwelling for the future. Because we're all born with big dreams, right? Especially, you know, when you're a kid, man, your whole life is out in front of you and you have all these dreams of, of what you could do. I, I used to dream about being a great musician and a singer. I remember taking, at a young age, taking guitar lessons, and I really enjoyed that. But as, as we moved and stuff, I kind of got away from that. And, and uh, somehow my whole family got all the musical stuff. And so they get to do that part of the dream. I just get to talk a lot. But we have those dreams, right? We dream of being the star athlete. We dream of, of being the hero that saves the day. We dream of preaching to thousands in the midst thousands in the midst of revival. And that's what I've not let go of. I'm still hoping for that one. <laughs> But as we, as we age, our dreams begin to change a little bit. My dream now, one of my biggest dreams now, is I want to do this life so well that when I'm done, I leave a heritage for generations following me. Not just in my family, but those that spiritual sons and daughters that God has helped us to raise up and influence. I also dream of the joints of my youth. Not the, not, not the kind you smoke, but the ones that are like your knees and your elbows and, and you know, that kind of stuff, right? I just want to be clear on that, okay? That just came out. I don't know. But I still dream of preaching to thousands in the midst of revival. I still believe. You know, I know that we see a, 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 this rising up of, of evil in the world around us. But if you look at history, God has always raised up a standard 
against that. And I still believe that there is a revival that is coming. And as we seek him and as we put him first, and I also dream of finishing strong. I don't want to fade away. I don't want to be like some of the Bible heroes that, that did great for a season, but somewhere along the, the line, they, they were allowed themselves to be derailed. I want to finish this thing strong. But there's another dream. There's the dream that the Father has for us. And it's not hidden. It's been his dream all along. You can see it underlying everything all throughout Scripture. And his dream for us is found in Revelation 21.3, where it says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That has been his dream from the very beginning. That's one of the reasons that I love worship. Now, so many times we equate worship with, with the music and the singing, and that's part of us. That, that helps get us there. But every now and then when somebody comes along and says, the worship just isn't my thing, I'm like, what planet are you from? I mean, because I know what he did for me, and I know that the relationship I have, and there's something in that all that I still have for him, that when somebody sings about what he's done for me, that there's something in me that stirs up and something in me that wants to just, sometimes I want to just get on my knees and say, thank you that for some reason, whatever reason, you love me enough to save this messed up person. But it's been his desire from the very beginning to dwell with us. And, and he longs for us to push in. He longs for us to pursue him. We see through Scripture that God, you know, matter of fact, Scripture tells us that he rewards those that diligently seek him. Well, there's something about when we press in. There's something about when we pursue him that great things happen. You read about the woman that just reached out and touched the hem of his garment. She pressed through the things. But when she got there, she got what she desired. He longs for us to press in. Paul in his letter to the church of Philippi in verse, chapter 3, verse 14 says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He desires for us to press on. He desires for us to press towards the future. He desires for us to look ahead. So I was thinking about this. I boiled it all down to this statement because I know where we live and I know what's coming. And so really I think that it it can be put this way. We must dwell in the here and now while living for the not yet. We need to live for the not yet. We haven't arrived yet. We haven't gotten there yet. But we need to live our life looking for what's coming next. Because before long... We get to the future. At some point, tomorrow becomes today, and the things we've dreamed can become yesterday if we don't prepare for what's coming, if we don't prepare for the not yet. But before we get into that and and, and really hit on that, I want us to look back for just a little bit. You think about mankind as a whole. If we were to say, what is probably the greatest question that mankind asks it would be, why am I here? We hear that a lot. Why am I here? What is the purpose of all this? 
And we live in a day where science is making all kinds of advances. We've got, we've got the power in our little pockets that we carry around. There used to be rooms full of, of uh, equipment and things that, that can't even do what we can do in, with the device we carry in our pocket. We, science has advanced so far. And yet the best answer that science can come up with to the question of why we are here is there is no reason. That's their best answer. You're just a cosmic accident. There's no purpose. There's nothing to it. You're just here. Boy, that'll cause you to go out and live life for the best. (laughs) I'm going to take that mountain because none of this means anything. But yet, Scripture tells us that we all have a purpose it tells us that we have a divine purpose and that there are things he wants us to accomplish in life there is a plan that he has for us that there is a not yet that is coming that is going to be so glorious and if we live our life looking towards that then there are so many things in our lives that takes care of itself and i always wondered if that's the two choices we have if you really boil it down that's what it asks that we're here for nothing at all or we're here for a purpose and if that's the two choices you have why do so many people choose no purpose at all you know what i think it's because they don't want any expectations on their life because if there is a purpose that means that at some point there's going to be a measuring stick And we don't like the idea. We get so caught up in living for the now that many times we void the not yet. See, the truth is God created us for fellowship. That's what he desires. He wants to dwell with us. That passage I read in Revelation, that's what he's looking for. Matter of fact, if you look at everything, that's what he's been wanting all along is for him to dwell with us and us to dwell with him. He desires that. That's, that's the whole thing. And, and, you know, so much so, if you think about it, what is the first thing he did? He built a dwelling for us. Yes, he said, let there be light, but there was a purpose to the light. Yes, he divided the, the day from the night. Yes, he spoke the waters, and he divided the waters, and, and he formed this earth, and he did all these things, and he separated the seas, and, and, and all put the seas in place, all the things that he did. But every bit of it, if you get down to it, was to make a place for us to dwell. And then when he spoke life and he created all of life and out of all the things that he did for creation, and I love, you know, I, I know that the, the nature shows get it wrong, but I love watching that because I just, God's clever handiwork in his design is incredible. And I love that even those that think it's a cosmic accident, every now and then you'll, you'll read them, you'll, you'll watch all those shows and they talk about how incredible that creature's design and it's like out of your own mouth you just said it, but yet you say it's an accident. But even with all that, it's almost like when you're reading the narrative, it kind of stops and it slows down. And it says, but he formed man from the dust of the clay of the earth. You know what I like to picture with that? Out of all those things that he spoke into existence, we're the ones that he put his fingerprints on. We're the one that he picked up and breathed that first breath of life into. 
We're the ones that, he, that it says that we were formed in his image. He made us to dwell with him. So I spoke about dreams earlier, but what about the Father's dream for us? See, he has plans for his children. Yeah, we all have, if you're any kind of parent at all, you have plans for your children. You want them to be successful. And, and many times different people define, define success differently. For us, our biggest success thing was if they would just grow to know the Lord, the rest of it will take care of itself. And it is so neat. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I didn't say this in the first service, but I, it is such a thrill for me. And I know that, that life can take us other places, other things happen, but it's such a thrill for me every Sunday just about to sit there on the front row during worship and watch the rest of my family involved in ministry. To me, that is the greatest success. That is the biggest thrill to, to see that and to, and to be a part of that and, and, and to know that. But, you know, we have dreams for them. I know Colson and Ruth, I know you guys already have dreams of just that little bundle of joy and just all those things. But his intention was to dwell with us. He created a perfect creation, a perfect garden for us. He created it. He put them in a situation for a perfect relationship. Scripture talks about the, that him truly walking with them in the cool of the day. I can't imagine what that would be like to having the God that spoke the universe into, into, cre, into existence coming and walking with you and having that kind of relationship until they fell. Till they fell. When that happened, the whole thing shifted. Genesis 3.8 and says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Think about this. They were now hiding from the one that they used to walk in the coolness of the garden with. What shifted? Nobody had to tell him you can't hang out with him anymore. There was something in them that knew that there was now a barrier that used to not be there. And we need to understand that sin causes us to run from our created purpose. When we sin, we step away from what he's called us to do. We're we're putting this barrier in between. And the very purpose, we talk about living for a purpose and dwelling for the future. Sin is the thing that will cause us to separate from that purpose, from that thing that he has for us. And all of a sudden there's this barrier. And this God we should be running towards, we run from. And we hide and we separate ourselves. See, nobody to tell them. They knew the relationship was broken. And then when the punishment was handed out, they could no, no longer, was, was there that separation, but now they could no longer live in that perfect garden that was created for them. Everything began to change. And this life that was supposed to be this everlasting life in relationship with God, now life has an expiration date. And they're separated. But I want you to, here's something I want you to see. God always offers another way. Even 
when the punishment was being handed down. I love how that even in that moment when they were scared and they were hiding that God made the first sacrifice and he clothed them and clothed their shame. Then as he was passing out the punishment, he made the statement, but Eve, your offspring will one day crush the head of the serpent. God always has a plan. He always has that next thing. And if you look at this, you can see, as I begin to back up, you can see this cycle all through the history of the word. You can see that that God offers another way. God comes along when man falls, even after man messes up even worse after that. And all of a sudden God says, you know, that's it. I'm going to wipe this whole thing out. And I'm going to start over with the people that will serve me. And And he rescues Noah and his family. And then we see over a period of time, the world kind of becomes so evil again. And then next thing you know, God says, well, you know what? This time I'm going to take Abraham. Abraham is faithful. I'm going to make a whole new nation with him that's going to serve me. And, and that worked for a period of time, but they didn't do so well either. So they end up back in captivity in Egypt. And then God performs all these miracles and sets them free and rescues them and gets them out in the wilderness. And, and they were to be his people. And he said, once again, he said, you know, I want you to be my people. I want to dwell with you. And again and again, they failed him. And you can see this same cycle all throughout Scripture. But God's purpose all along is to have a people that he could dwell with and that he could be their God and that they would dwell with him. <clears throat> I believe God chose and created this nation that we live in to be a New Testament promised land. I truly believe that. And generations later, we too have strayed far from our founding purpose. Now I know that people today want to say no, and they want to point to all the problems in the past and so forth. You know what? On this earth, there will never be a perfect nation. The only perfect nation is going to be when he comes himself and sets up his kingdom. There's always going to be things. But if you look at it throughout, there has been no better place. There's no no nation that has done more to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ than this nation. And yet here we are trying to walk away from the very things that we were founded upon. But it's not just... It's not just a, a nation, but what is a nation made up? A nation is made up of individuals. We didn't fall because the nation as a whole fell. We begin, we begin to drift this way because we as individuals begin to walk away and quit living for the future, but living for what was right in front of us. It's where we find ourselves. You see, we're so many times we're, it's so easy for us to get our eyes off the goal. We get distracted by shiny things. You read it. What did it say at the very beginning? They had this beautiful garden. They had everything for them. It was all perfect. And there was this one forbidden fruit in the middle of the garden. And, and, and Scripture says that Eve saw that it was appealing to the eye. In other words, it was shiny. And she wanted it so bad. It, how many know that we're, we're so guilty of the same thing? We can, we can say, you know what, I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to get focused. I'm going to have my devotion time. Uh, and we'll have times when we, that we draw closer to him and things begin to move forward in our lives. And then something will come across that catches our eye that's a little bit shiny. And we're just as guilty of wandering off and getting into something else. 
that derails us from the future that he wants us to have. The fruit looked good to Adam and Eve. Noah Noah and his family started over, but it wasn't long before they were building the Tower of Babel, a monument to themselves. Abraham was chosen, and he was going to be God's people, and they were going to be this, and they were going to follow that, and it was going to be a line of pure people, and God had made a promise, I'm going to make you a nation. And all of a sudden, the situation comes along. Well, it wasn't happening fast enough for him. Well, why don't we, why don't you, let's just make this happen through the Egyptian slave girl. And Abraham didn't say no. Moses and the Israelites were going to be this, once again, they were set free and God had performed all these miracles and they were going to be a godly people. And you see that, that God was doing, I mean, just think of all God went through to rescue them and get them out there. I mean, and even when the enemy changed their mind and caught back up and, and God parted the sea and they walked over and it was promised even before that happened, this enemy that you see now, you will never see again. And God fulfilled his promise. They got to the other side. God's miraculously feeding them in the desert. And just like five-year-olds, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm going to die. Yeah. God rescued you through all that stuff just to fry you out in the desert. Yeah, that was his plan. But don't we do the same thing? We can have a track record of God rescuing us again and again and again, and we get a little bit uncomfortable. God, I'm thirsty. God, I'm hungry. God, why'd you do this to me? They went on. They wanted a human king like everybody else when God wanted to be their ruler. They wanted to worship idols like everybody else when God said, I want to be your God. And later on, God would send his only son and Jesus himself would tell the parable of the tenants in Matthew 21. And he talked about how that through the past that God would send a prophet <clears throat> He'd send this one, and they were beat, mistreated, killed. And finally, he says in the parable, and the, and the master said, I'm going to send my own son. Surely they will respect my own son, and they killed him. We don't have a very good track record of answering God's response. But we kind of do the same thing when we, when we don't dwell for the future like he's asked us to. We must dwell in the here and now while living for the not yet. Ed Stetzer, which is the president of Lifeway Research, said this. He said, 10 years ago we were talking about who would win the culture war, and now we're talking about how will Christian rights be protected after the culture war. We've lost our home field advantage. They are going to be some things that are different. I read a headline just yesterday how that there's one of the political presidential candidates that has said that one of the first things he wants to do is take away the tax-exempt status of the churches. See, but there's a willingness so many times to sacrifice eternal purpose for the here and now. 
How many times do we go along and we know what the right choice is and we consciously make that decision? You know what? I'm going to follow this shiny thing. I'm going to step off over here because this is what I want to do right now and I'll worry about the consequences later. But it always stinks when the day comes and the consequences show up and the consequences come sooner than you think they're going to. But we all, we live our lives seeking happiness. We want to be happy. We want lives full of joy. The difference is where we think it'll be found. Which leads me to my last point this morning. Doesn't mean I'm close to closing. It's just my last point. (laughs) To dwell for the future. Because tomorrow is closer than you think. You know, we all probably drive a vehicle that has a little <clears throat> wording on the, on the side window that says objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. I don't know what the date is. You don't know what the date is. But there's a date that is out there that the not yet will become today. And it's closer than you think. I don't know about you, but I look at the Signs of things are going on. I know I've heard that my whole life. But all I know is it's closer now than it was then. And to me, there's so many things that I look at and I say, you know what? There really, if you look at the prophecy in Scripture, there really isn't anything left that has to be done. Yet we live our life so worried about the now that we're not dwelling on the future. I want us to read Revelation 21.3 again. He says that I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. If you read that in the NIV, it says, Now the dwelling of God is with man. You know what to me that's kind of saying? Finally! The dwelling of God is with man. Finally, they will be my people. That's been his dream for us all along. And we fall short again and again and again. But here he's talking about the day that that will become a reality and that his dwelling place will be with us and we will be with him. And it will be an incredible thing. And if you read it right on the heels of that worship and celebration breaks out in heaven because it is the day that God has looked for from the first moment he said, let there be light. Because he wants to dwell with us. But somehow, I'm afraid that there's too many Christians that aren't really looking for that day. That there's too many of us that think that somehow that, that, that we live our lives with this, this attitude of, of, well, it's better than the other place, so I guess I will go there. I'd rather do that. I, you know, I want to make sure that I'm prayed up. I want to make sure that I've got my fire insurance but there's still some stuff here that, I, that in the back of my mind I think might be better than what's next. Oh, we probably wouldn't say that, but our life actions kind of indicate that. 
See, we have this attitude. There should be something in us that longs to dwell with him. Matter of fact, as I, was, I thought about a, a cartoon I saw long ago, and I looked it up online, and I found it on a coffee mug, and I want you to look at this. Sometimes we have this attitude. Angels sitting on a cloud in heaven. I wish I'd brought a magazine. I think really sometimes that's almost our mentality of what heaven's going to be like. Well, what are we going to do there? You know, and and so there's this attitude. And and I was thinking about that, and I remember this quote from Huckleberry Finn I want to read. Miss Watson, the teacher, is talking to to Huck, and he says this. She says, Miss Watson takes a dim view of of his fun-loving spirit. Huck says, she went on and on and told me about the good place. She said that all a body would have to do there is go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think so much of it. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said, not by a considerable sight. I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to be together. And we laugh at that, but sometimes I'm afraid that's kind of the mentality that some of us have. They say, well, you know, heaven's better than the alternative, but we're just, you know, we're just going to kind of be there, and it's going to kind of be this existence, and, you know, and, 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 and trust me, I believe we'll spend a thousand years in awe of him. I believe it's going to be more incredible, and I'll get into more of that later. But we almost have this mentality See, there should be something in us that longs to dwell with him. What is your picture of heaven? What do you see? Is it to you, is it really the better of the two options? Or is there something in you that is longing for that? Is there something in you that understands how incredible it's going to be? I thought, how much better would it have been if, if Miss Watson, as she was explaining, said, oh, you don't understand what's waiting for you. It's going to be this incredible place. There's going to be more adventures than you can count. There's going to be wonders and things to see that you've never even dreamed of or thought of. There's going to be higher mountains and lower valleys. There's going to be beautiful beauty and rivers and, and streets of gold and begin to, and the glory of all these things. There's going to be things to do and experience that will blow your mind. But yet sometimes I think we lose sight of that. And the sad thing is you can almost read, you know, anytime you read or you watch a movie, you can almost re- get a glimpse of the heart or the soul of the person that wrote it. And Mark Twain, unfortunately, apparently never got it. Later in his life, he wrote these words. The burden of pain, care, misery grows heavier and year by year. At length, ambition is dead. Pride is dead. Vanity is dead. Longing for release is in their place. I come at last. The only unpoisoned gift earth ever had for them. And, and they vanished from a world where they were of no consequence, where they achieved nothing, where they were a mistake and a failure and a foolishness. Isn't that just like today's worldview? You're just an accident. There is no purpose. 
But I want to, as, as I thought of that, I wanted to contrast it with what somebody on the other side, and Charles Spurgeon in his latter years said this, to come to thee is to come home from exile, to come to a land out of a raging storm, to come to rest after a, a long labor, to come to the goal of my desires and the summit of my wishes. That's the future we're talking about. That's what we should be looking towards. That's what we should be planning. You know, all through life, the best thing we can do is plan for what's next. When you're single, live your life like you're saving yourself for that person that you're about to marry because someday that day will come and you will wish that you had. When When you're married... Live your life like your kids are on the way because someday they will come. And when you're young and you've got the energy, plan for your retirement because that day will get there faster than you think. And through the whole process, plan for eternity because that too is on the way. And we get ourselves in trouble when we just live for the moment. Because all of a sudden, what's next arrives, the not yet comes, and it catches us by surprise. Story about a man dying, and the doctor was trying to break the news to him. And the doctor is there, and the doctor gives the news to his patient that, you know, I'm sorry, this that you've got is... It's terminal. You're, you're going to pass away. And the doctor was a Christian doctor, and, and the, the patient asked, you know, well, well, doctor, what's next for me then? What's, what's the next like, life like? And the doctor was looking for some way to explain it, and he was kind of praying to himself, and it just happened to be a day that he had brought his little dog to to work with him that day and and the and so the little examination room was shut and all of a sudden right about that moment there's a little scratching at the door of the little dog and he looked at his patient and says well it's kind of like my dog he doesn't know what's on the other side of the door he just knows that I'm here and that's good enough that's all we need to know the one that loved us enough to pay the price for us at great torture and expense to himself, he's going to be there. And that's really, yes, we have some details that we can fill in, but that's really all we need to know. Because as we see, he's gone through all of this work to, because his goal all along from the time he said, let there be light, is for us to dwell with him. And finally, that day's going to come. And that ought to be the thing that we look forward to more than anything. See, wouldn't it make sense that the God of heaven would give us everything he created for us to desire in that moment? I mean, think of this. We're going to have a resurrected life in a resurrected body on a resurrected earth. Ruled by a resurrected king. What else could you ask for? Finally, the perfect form of government. 
I love this C.S. Lewis quote. He says, if I find myself, find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Writer, writer of Hebrews in, in 13, 14 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is, that is to come. That's what it's all about. I know he's not a theologian, but it was, it was accurate words. Decades ago, Mick Jagger said, I can't get no satisfaction. He's right. There is nothing here that will satisfy that hunger that we have. Unless we dwell with the one that is desired all along for us to dwell with him. And that day is closer than you think. If I can get some music, I'm prepared to close. Philippians 2, 10, 11 says, So that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, the truth is, that day is coming when he's going to say, finally. And it doesn't matter whether you're the most hardcore, bitter atheist or the person that is completely in love with Jesus. Every knee will bow. And the best thing we can do is bow now. Say, Lord, I'm nothing. It's all yours. And acknowledge I was made to dwell with you and you with me and all the stuff that I would chase after is just me trying to fill the void that is left without you with something else that will not satisfy to that level. He desires so much for us. The whole question is, He will dwell and we will bow. The whole question is, will we do it now or will we do it later? Now's the much better option. I want to read Revelation 21 3 again, but I'm going to add verse 4 this time. Then we're going to pray. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Finally, that's his goal. 
I don't know what you got. I love reading scripture and just trying to put a mental image to it. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but I just almost picture a loving Savior reaching out with this hand and saying, all those tears that you cried, they're gone. All that difficulty is gone. Finally, you're going to dwell with me and I'm going to dwell with you in this very thing that you've longed for. You know what I believe? I believe secretly the things we struggle for in life, I believe that somehow it's encoded in our DNA that we understand that we lost the garden. And everything we chase after is trying to fill that void. And it won't be filled with anything else. But when he says, finally, my dwelling is with you and you're with me. So don't you bow your heads for just a moment. My goal this morning is for us to just realize we need to quit chasing after all the other junk. We need to quit thinking that somehow the next shiny thing is going to bring us fulfillment, but that we will finally turn, that we will live our life looking towards the not yet, living for the not yet, preparing for what is next. Yes, there are things this life we have to do. There is stuff we have to chase after. I realize that we have to work, we have to eat, we have to provide for our family, but we can get so caught up in those things that we lose the whole sight of preparing for what he has for us and living for the not yet. Because one of these days, I, you know, my prayer is that I make it that point. One of these days that trumpet is going to sound. One of these days that those of us that love him are going to be out of here. But the truth is it really doesn't matter whether we get to go, you know, if we're just, tra- if our living body is suddenly transformed and we're out of here or if we've gone on in the Lord, because the scripture says that those that have gone on will be the first to rise up and meet with him. We need to quit chasing after the other stuff and live for his dwelling with us and us with him. And scripture says, if we seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, that all these things will be added to us as well. So why do we focus on the at well? We can focus on the right things, focus on eternity, and the rest of it will take care of itself.